0: Amen. Good morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world, man. I mean, you know, he is what everything we do around here is all about. And, um, And this is a wonderful time to study his life in light of the last week. Uh, So one of the things that we've been doing here at this church over the course of the last five, six weeks is, if you've been with us, is doing exactly that. We're studying through the life of Jesus as Mark uniquely writes it and gives it to us in his gospel. And we've been saying that Mark has an agenda. And so like agenda item number one, and he spends eight chapters doing this, is to convince us that Jesus is more than just a great teacher, he's more than just a great prophet, he's more than just a great miracle worker, but that in fact, Jesus is God. It's written into every story. Like he starts out by going, oh, Jesus is gone. And then he gives this story and he's like, do you see how he's gone? And then he gives this story and goes, have I convinced you yet? And then he gives this story. He's like, how about now? Show of hands. Are you Okay, no, not everybody. All right, how about this? And then this? And then this? And then this? Because he is aware of the fact that we need more than just a great teacher, more than just a great prophet, more than just a great miracle worker. We need a Savior who is fully man so that as a man he can substitute his life for a man, for a woman. But we need one who is fully God. So that the life that he substitutes is not only infinitely and perfectly righteous, which is unlike any of our lives, but it's infinitely valuable. That means he takes all comers. How valuable is the life of Jesus? It's infinite. So there's room for you in the family of God, is the idea. Come to Christ. Let him forgive you. Let him renew you. Let him fill you with his spirit. That's the whole idea. Mark is coming to us and he's going, oh, guys, I'm begging you to see Jesus is gone. And he does that again as we come to chapter 6. You know, we get to the end of chapter 6 and what do we see Jesus do? Because it's reenacting something we find in the Old Testament. It's like Mark is coming to us and giving us this story. He's going, before we get there, let's flip back in the pages of the Bible. We're going to go all the way back to Moses, where Moses leads the people of Israel up out of the land of Egypt. He takes them out into the wilderness. And the wilderness is a place, guys, where there's no food. And they pretty quickly figure that out. And Moses has not so much as packed a sandwich for anyone. So now all of a sudden you got all of these people out in the wilderness, no food, and they're all looking at Moses, going, Hey man, like what are we supposed to do out here? Did you not foresee this? I'm thinking your leadership is not so hot. Like, and Moses does what Moses alone can do. He just cries out to God. He's like, God, I I I, I come to you. That's all I can do. I'm just a man. I need you to feed these people. We need bread, like literally from heaven. That's what happens. It's what God does. All right, so then you get to Mark chapter 6. Jesus says to his disciples, guys, let's get in a boat. We're going to leave this side of the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to go over to this side of the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to go to a desolate place. It's actually not the word desolate. It's the word wilderness, because it's meant to recall that story with Moses. They get all the way across the Sea of Galilee. There's this great multitude of people. It says that there are 5,000 men, and I just, I'm just going to ask for forgiveness on the front end. They didn't count the women or the children. That was their problem. It's their culture. We've come a long way. Don't shoot the messenger, okay? There's like 20,000 people there. Jesus teaches them all day. Guess what happens? They get hungry. Where are they? They're in the wilderness. Is there any food in the wilderness? Now they'd already eaten everything that they had brought. Hey, Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? What does he do? Because here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't cry out to God and go, God, I'm just a man. You know, like, I need you to, I don't know, miraculously provide bread for all of these people. No, no, who else is Jesus? Yes, he is a man. But Jesus is God. So he just feeds them himself. Miraculously, multiplies the bread and the fish, and he he feeds everybody. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And Mark's going, "You got it right. Like you see the you see the parallel, right? You see that Jesus is not just like the Moses figure in this. Jesus is the God figure in the story. Jesus is God. He he does what only God can do. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to challenge you to start spending time with Jesus, who also happens to be God. And I want you to do it not as a matter of duty. See, as soon as I say that, what do you hear? Oh, gosh, he's asking me for something, and he's asking me for time. Like, I'd rather write you a check, you know? Can I buy out of this? If I give a certain amount of week, can I not spend? Because I, time is the most valuable thing I have. Time is life. It's more to me than money. It's more to me than whatever. Like, this is the deal. Like, oh, good grief. He's coming and he's asking something from me. I'm not doing that at all. I'm offering something to you. Better than that, I'm offering someone to you. Think about who Jesus is for a minute. I mean, we've been talking about it. He is fully man, but he is also fully God. Jesus is the most marvelous character, the most marvelous person, the most magnetic individual in the entirety of the universe. There is no one more beautiful. There is no one more humorous. There is no one more creative. There is no one wiser, more powerful, more loving, more gracious, more joyful. He is the infinitely joyful one. He is the infinitely enjoyable one. And because he is infinite, by the way, he doesn't have to like divide up his schedule amongst us. Well, I mean, I guess I'm three free on Thursday at 3, you know, like, no. He is able to give a 100% of himself... of the time to every single one of us and all at the same time. He's not just a man, he's God. And it's like he's jumping around in our lives going, hey, I'm right here. Hey, hey, I'm right here. Hey, hey, I'm right here. Hey, I'm available right now. Anytime, really. Seriously, like I am open to you all the time. How about we hang out? How about it? I'm not asking for something from you. I'm just wanting something for you. I'm offering something to you. And it's something Jesus offers. we see it in the story. So we pick up our study in Mark 6, beginning in verse 30, and it just says the apostles. And I'm going to stop, super frustrating, two words in. I don't care. Just hang with me for a minute. Where have these guys been? Because the first part of this chapter that I'm not covering Matters. In the first part of this chapter, Jesus comes to his disciples, and he says, look, I'm going to send you guys out. I'm going to pair you up into six different teams, two by two by two by two by two by two. You got it? And then I'm going to send you guys out to all these towns and villages in this region here in Galilee as an advance team, and I am going to give you power to do miraculous things. Like, I'm going to give you power to heal any disease, any affliction, anything. You're like, common cold, because nobody's got an answer for that. Yes, even that... And significantly bigger things, the blind see, the lame walk, the paralyzed get up and move like they function like a normal person. I'm going to give you power over every kind of affliction and I'm going to give you power over all the demonic world. Like you're going to speak to the demons, they're going to obey you because I am giving you my power because I am God. And because I am God, that's actually not crazy. Like I can do this kind of stuff. This is amazing. This is going to be really cool. I want you to go out. I want you to go on a miracle tour. I want you to stay there for days at a time. And I want you to preach repentance and I want you to let them know I'm coming. So they do. They do. And they come back, and it says the apostles returned to Jesus from that mission, and with great enthusiasm, I'm sure, they told Jesus all that they had done and taught. But then what does Jesus do? He said to them, okay, so good, that's amazing. Now come away by yourselves, with me is the idea, to a desolate, literally it says, to a wilderness place, and do what? Rest a while. That sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? That's like amazing, like I get to go and then I get to rest a while. How many of y'all could use some rest? You don't have to raise your hand. I already know. Everyone. Everyone. We could all use some rest. It's so hard to find, isn't it? Or is it? He's inviting you. He's saying, listen, time with me. Let me put a word on that. We're going to call it rest. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Jesus comes, and among all the different ways that he describes himself, this this one is so profound. He says, I am the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Got that? What else? Just start looking through the Bible. Start reading through the Old Testament. He makes you lie down in green pastures. Why? Because it violates your nature to do it. Can we agree? It's like we don't know how to rest. We don't know how to be silent. We don't know how to be still. It's like it's painful, it's difficult because we're so frantic all of the time, all of the time, all of the time. I took a sabbatical back in 2019, and I was physically ill the first week, not because I actually had any kind of a virus, but because I had no phone. I had no emails. I had no phone calls. I had no text messages. I mean, I had a phone, but it was off. I gave my contact to four people. That's it. And for about a week, I just detoxed off of adrenaline. And it was one of the most difficult weeks of my life. And then it gave way to seriously one of the greatest experiences that I've ever had. Jesus is like, why do you have to go to Spain to do that? Like, because that's where I went. But you don't have to go walk 500 miles, literally. Like the song, I could walk five. I did that. I got that for you every day, Tom. I'm here like all the time. Here I am right now you ready? Let's meet. I'm game. I'm good. I'm I'm here. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. What are quiet waters? They're waters that you can wade into without any fear of being sucked under the current and taken away. That's the mania of our lives. And that's where a lot of us are right now, just sort of rolling in the current, you know, like in the river. It's just like it sucked us in and we're, you know, and eventually we're going to drown. He restores your soul. Oh, man. Even the most prideful are like, sign me up. Where, where's, the, where's the sign up? Like, I, I'm in because our souls are fractured. Our souls are hurt. They're damaged. They're hardened. They're calloused. They're burnt out. He's like, come to me. I have life for you. I want this not from you, for you. These guys have just been like added in ministry. And Jesus is like, here's what we're going to do. Come away by yourselves with me to a desolate, to a wilderness place and rest for a while. And here's why. Because all of these people from these towns and villages, it says for many of the people who just experienced the miracle tour of the disciples who were sent out in pairs have followed them back to this place. Like, they haven't met Jesus yet. Like, they're just, you know, they're getting acquainted now maybe a little bit. But the disciples have been the miracle workers in this case. They have been the preachers and teachers. They're the ones that they've been bringing all the sick and the lame and the whatnot to. You get the idea? And so these crowds are followed now, these guys, out of these towns and villages, and they're hounding them to the place where they had no leisure even to eat because of the crushing demand of these people for more. And so in the midst of that madness... Jesus is like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to call a little time out. We're going to get in the boat. Let's go be alone together. That's what they do. It says that they went away in the boat to a desolate or a wilderness place by themselves. And here's what I'm asking you in this message. Like, it is really the point. Okay, when do you do that? And where do you go to do that? Because you've got to have a when and Where? And you're like, all right, so Tom, here's the deal. I'm just going to say it for you because that's what you're thinking. So I'm just going to say it. I'm going to shoot it down ki- kindly, nicely, but that's where I'm going. But I, I, you just want to say, look, I'd love to spend time with Jesus. I have no time to spend with Jesus. And, I, you know, I mean, I could explain that to you, but I don't have time to do that either. So let's just go with it, okay? I don't have any time. So I've got itty-bitty kids. Do you remember what that's like, Tom? of. Okay. Maybe when they go to school and I can drop them all off at once and then then I can go take a shower, I can eat lunch without being, you know, feeling like somebody's attacking me and yes, okay, finally then maybe I'll have some time to spend with Jesus. Or maybe you've experienced that. And you're like, no, 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 it's when they graduate from high school. You know, like when the crushing demands of the baseball and the football and the soccer and the lacrosse and the piano and the plays and all the stuff and everything, the violin and like, you know, like when all of that stuff is finally done and they, they go off as, as hopefully responsible, marriageable human beings and they go off to college and then, then I'll have an opportunity to do that, then I'll spend time with Jesus. Maybe it's when the big deal that I'm working on closes, or the or the project that's consuming me is over, or the the promotion that I've been dying literally to get. I get it. Like at some point, then I'll spend time with Jesus. All of a sudden, I'll just I'll have time, and I'll have time for Jesus. Okay, so here's the thing. I've been kind of joking around about becoming a Rio classic, or really just discovering that for the last couple of years I've been a Rio classic because it's kind of fun to make fun of it. Uh, but I have a staff member who likes to make fun of it too, and I'm not going to tell you who it is. It wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't be fair. But if I was, I'd say his name is Mason, and um, <laughs> and I love Mason. I love Mason. You have no idea how much I love that guy, and I'm so grateful for him. He's he's an amazing, incredible person and pastor. Uh, but you know, he likes to rib me, and I keep inviting him to come exercise with me, and he, he keeps turning me down like he's he's not willing to do it. And I, I think I've discovered why because his now brother-in-law about five years ago, came and exercised with me. Like it was a Wednesday night, you know, and it's Wednesday night. I used to go to this class, and it was like an hour and a half long on paper. It was really two hours long because this woman, like, it's like she didn't have a watch, you know. I'm like, it, it didn't matter. There was nothing after it. She just went until we were done, and it was 45 minutes or an hour of just nonstop, hardcore, body weight exercises, air squats, push-ups, all this core stuff. Like, you're dying a thousand deaths, okay? And then you get to the end of that, and you think you're done. You're not done. Now it's hardcore yoga. You know, you're like half-mooning it, you know, and your leg is like shaking because you've just worn yourself out. Like, it was seriously intense, and Fritz Cherry, who is Drew's husband, came to the class at once. Um, about 30 minutes in and Fritz is in shape. He's over there. He's in shape. Like Fritz is in shape. He's a super good dude. Uh, and you know, and he's, and my kids would say he's swole. You know, he's swole. Like he's, he's jacked, right? And he's got the arms and the whatever. About 30 minutes in, he was like right here. And I didn't, couldn't tell, is he going to die or is he going to cry? Like it's one of those two. He might be crying because the sweat is, and he's like, how long is this? I'm like, we have at least another hour to go, and that's just on paper, right? That's it, one Wednesday. Okay, look. I'm not really old, but I'm old enough to have been, li- to live through all those transitions I just described. All the itty bitties, and then they go to school. Oh, now they grow up and you get through all of the sports and all the stuff and all the things and all the demands and all the plays and all the recitals, praise Jesus, and then you get them out of the house and then they they go off to college and, you know, I've done the career change, I've done the this and the that and the big deal and the blah, 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 and I'm just going to save you a bunch of time. If you're waiting for life to slow down, it's not coming. It's not going to happen. It will not slow down. Jesus looks at his disciples, and think about the needs these people are bringing, because they can't get them met anywhere else. I said it a couple weeks ago, like people back then would die sometimes from an ear infection. Like, well, I'll just take a Z pack. You know, I mean, you got bronchitis. I mean, you just need some antibiotic. They didn't have any of that stuff. There was no pharmaceutical industry. There were no doctors and physicians and hospitals and rehab centers and all of the kinds of things that we have the benefit of presently. They didn't have any of that. All of a sudden, you've got some guys and they can work some dadgum miracles. You got to be kidding me! I'm bringing everyone to them. And by the way, they're our only hope. So it's not like they left behind trivial stuff. And yet Jesus says, get in the boat. Let's go. And it's not that Jesus doesn't care about the needs of these people. I mean, he spent his whole life caring about the needs of people. He cared for our needs at the expense of his life. So that's not it. It's not a fair charge. It's that Jesus knows that time with him is the most significant. It is the most transformational. It is the most important. It is the most empowering thing. It is the best thing you can do, not just for you, but for everyone connected to you. When I spend time with Jesus, Beth benefits. And when she spends time with Jesus, I benefit. Our kids benefit. The church benefits. The staff benefits. like everyone we're connected to everywhere benefit why? because I've gone to a desolate place with the one who alone is life. And when we refuse to spend time with Jesus, even if we believe in him, no matter that, we live like functional atheists. You know, Faye Weldon said it well when she said that atheism is the religion of the busy. Why? Because busyness drives Jesus out of your life and you end up living like everybody else. Frantic, crazy. I've fallen into the river of the chaos and I'm being swept away Jesus is like, I got still water for you. Why don't you go in there and get a drink? I have green pastures. Why don't you come and lay down? No, no, I'm commanding you, lay down. In a couple days, you're going to be grateful. (laughs) You're going to detox from this, and then it's going to be really, really good. And you say, yeah, all right, but I'm still too busy for Jesus. I mean, just bottom line, I don't have the time. So then let me ask you this, what drives your busyness? I'm going to offer you a suggested answer. It's not the only answer. It might not be your answer. But if you follow the answer all the way through, I think you'll at least see some similarities. Like you'll go, mm, yeah, that's kind of sort of me. That explains at least part of it, if not the whole of it. I think what drives the busyness of a lot of us, and we all of us can be afflicted by this at various times in life and subconscious. It's this quest for significance or importance. We want to be important. We want to be significant. We want to be seen as such, even if it's just by ourselves. We want to know that. We want our spouse to know that, or we want them to see us that way. We want our kids to see us that way, people that we work with to see us that way. We might be trying to prove to a dead mother or father that we have importance and significance and we're 70 years old. Some coach, some kid who 30 years ago said you would never amount to anything and subconsciously, like that, laid hold of your heart. And to this day, you are frantically trying to prove to who? Them. (laughs) To you that they're wrong. And sometimes I think it's by busyness alone that we seek to do this. And and when in fact that's the case, then the busyness myth that, that is driving the madness the busyness goes something like this. If I'm really busy, then I must be really important and significant because how could I not be? I mean, just look at all the emails and the phone calls and the text messages and all, look at all the contacts. Look at who I have in my contacts, you know? I mean, look at all of this stuff and all the people and all the responsibilities and all the plates and all the... Th- how can I not be important and significant when all of this is heaped upon my shoulders and why do I want to throw my phone and my computer and my apple watch which i didn't get on purpose into the fo- into the pool you know, and then just get on a plane and like fly to, I don't know, Canada or something and then have parachute off into some forest and some some log cabin or something where there's nobody can reach me and nobody can find me so that I can rest. And why is it that even if I did that, I wouldn't be able to rest? I'd just be standing there freaking out, hearing in my mind all the plates that are dropping upon which I have based my importance and significance. And Jesus is going, hey, um, how about a little boat ride, a little time alone? A little time with me. I think we can get this straightened out. I've got a cure for this. It's coming. So I think sometimes it's by busyness alone that we try to produce our own importance and create our own significance. And other times it's through things that are, you know, really obvious, like success. And the, and the busyness myth, therefore, then is what? If I get really successful, then I will be really important and significant. So we get really, really busy trying to get really, really successful so that we can, I guess, become important and significant. Or alternatively, because this is what you discover, uh, you just get exhausted and frustrated because no matter how successful you get, it's not enough. It's like every time you think you scored a touchdown, you know, like I'm about to cross the goal line, and then it moves, and you're like, oh, crud. You know, I got another 20 yards again, and then it moves again. Like, come on, I'm tired. Yeah, I know, and then it moves again and again. You just, you can't get there. Never ends. It's not enough. Your friend groups change, and they're all up here, and you're like, well, maybe when I get to that. And I went to the office of a friend of mine. Awesome guy. Love this guy. Super creative. Very talented. I mean, literally, like if if anybody I know has the Midas touch, it's probably him. He owns a portfolio of businesses. He took me. We went to his office, and then he took me over to this fifty-five thousand square foot warehouse that houses, I think, five of his businesses. It was really cool. I got all kinds of merchandise from one of his businesses. I'm like, dude, this is Christmas. I didn't come here for this, but it was amazing. T-shirts and hats and things. and, And as we're driving there, he's 60 years old. His family name is on buildings around town. He said, man, I'm convinced of two things. One, he goes, life is just moving so fast. He goes, I just, I blink." A year goes by, a decade goes by. It's like he goes, I'm going to blink, it's going to be over. And he said, the other thing I'm convinced of is nobody's going to remember me or any of us. And I thought, you're dead on, man. There's no question about that. I remember when Dr. Kennedy, the founding pastor of Coral Ridge, had his heart attack and he was disabled. Uh, a friend of mine, two friends of mine actually stepped into the pulpit and they they took it over Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. About six months in, they had a new members class and they had it in the Kennedy Fellowship Hall or something. And somebody said, who's this Dr. Kennedy guy? Think about that. Man was a national, iconic figure. Who's this Dr. Kennedy guy? Who's this Tom Hendricks guy? who is that? What's your name? I think the point is that we need to live in such a way as to lift up the name that never fails. His name is Jesus, and what we do for him lasts for eternity. It long outlasts any building that gets built that gets named for us. Jesus is going, man, come on, success? Really? maybe you're trying to produce your own importance and create your own significance by trying to keep everybody happy by trying to please everybody by trying to kind of make sure everybody is good and everything is good and everybody feels good and everybody feels good, everybody feels good about you and the way that you're handling things that's a lot of us what a wonder you like we all love you like you are the most easily likable person in the room by a lot It's fantastic, and we are all blessed. But if that's how you're trying to produce your own significance, to create your own importance, then the busyness myth that drives you goes something like this. If I'm able to win and keep the approval of enough people, then I will be really important and significant. I just want to lay down right now. That's overwhelming. Now you've got to kill it at work and at home. Like your honey-do list, if you're a guy... Suddenly, really, really matters. You got to coach all your kids' teams. And you know, look, if you really enjoy that, do it, knock yourself out. But as opposed to, I'm trying to produce my own importance and create my own significance by being everything to everyone, which means I got to coach all of my kids' teams. And if you don't coach them all, then you got to be at every practice and every recital and every play and every game. And man. And then there's social media. And if this is the way that you're bent, Like this is the idol that that you've got to work on? Social media is your kryptonite. It is poison to your soul. Why? Because it gives you the opportunity 24 hours a day, seven days a week to measure your value and self-worth based upon how many friends and followers and likes that you get, which is why you check. And it's why you don't just check you. That's so why you check this person. Oh, I got more followers than them. I mean, you might not say that out loud. You just say that in here and it makes you kind of feel a little good where you see how many they have and you're devastated and you're confused. Like, wait a minute, I got to up my game. Have you read about the impact on the mental health of people that social media has and just how your, so your mental health goes like way healthier if you set it down for as much as a week? What drives your busyness? What are you looking to for importance and significance? Because the demand on the disciples in this moment, guys, is off the charts. People are so frantic for their attention, for their healing, for their wisdom, for whatever that they can't even eat. And Jesus says, we're going to leave all of this on one side of the sea, and we're going to get in the boat because I'm going to spend a little alone time with you. And here is why you, my disciples, can do that. You can do that, first of all, because your importance and significance does not come from your performance and achievements and all of that. It isn't found in any of these things. It's like chasing your tail. It's like chasing the wind, You can't grab it. You can't hang on to it. You can't find it. It isn't there. Jesus is like, listen, let me tell you about importance and significance. I am God, my life is of infinite value. And that I might remove all of your failures and everything that stood between you and me. I have laid my life down to claim you as my son or as my daughter, to bring you into my family, to fill you with my spirit, to transform your mind with my word like I have suffered and died for you. I have, by my performance, gifted you infinite importance and significance. So if that's what you're trying to get on the rat wheel, get off. You don't have to be there. And he's like, and you can get in the boat with me as well because, well, reason number two is because you can trust in my work on your behalf more than your work on your behalf. That's how the story plays out. So they get in the boat, and they row across the Sea of Galilee, which is just a big freshwater lake, okay? And these people over here are like, we got to go find them on the other side over here, and they must have enjoyed their time alone in the boat with Jesus so much that they rowed so slowly, they're going in a direct line, they row so slowly that they give these people enough time to run around the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, collecting up other people as they go, and when they get to the desolate place, no doubt expecting to find no one, because, I mean, why would you go into the wilderness? There's no food there. There's 20,000 people waiting on the shore. And instead of going, oh, Jesus embraces them, says that he has compassion on them. He teaches them long into the day on purpose. He takes them way past breakfast and lunch, and now we're into dinner, and there ain't nothing left the disciples who feel like these people and rightly i mean they have followed the disciples they're just now getting a taste of jesus but they've seen the disciples exercising the power of jesus so these guys feel responsible for the well-being of 20,000 people who raced around the lake to show up because they're so desperate and so they come to jesus and they're like listen man we got to let these guys go like you are way over it's like that yoga instructor you know it's like come on die in here you got to let these guys go so they can go find some food somewhere. And Jesus says, well, you know, you guys feed them. And honestly, when you read the narrative, you realize they're kind of disrespectful in this moment. I mean, they're coming along in their understanding of who Jesus is. They're like, "You're, you're kidding, right? Like, You guys feed them. Hey, guys, he wants us to feed them. You know, I'll tell you what. Yeah, no problem, Jesus, because there's a Publix, you know, like right on the other side of what, I don't know, that stone over there. So we're going to go over there and buy, I guess, the whole Publix with money we don't even have. What are you talking about, you feed them? He says, all right, well, what do you have? Seriously? And they look at Judas. They're like, you're always hiding something. What do you got, you know? What's in the bag, you know, like... I got a little of this, I got a little, they collect their resources up, they have five loaves of bread. These are not big loaves, they're not like 40 feet long, you know, they're like five little loaves of bread and two fish, which tells you, by the way, they didn't even plan well enough to take care of themselves. It's like, this isn't enough for us, Jesus, so now what are we going to do? He's like, you're right, you don't have it. You ever feel that way? You know, it is freeing to just acknowledge it. I don't have what it takes in this marriage. I don't have what it takes with this child. I don't have what it takes in this job. I don't have what it takes to just deal with myself. This situation, way beyond me. So let me give you what I've got. Confessing freely that it is definitely not enough. It's not even close, and it betrays that I didn't even plan well for me. Jesus is like, you know, you're not in this thing called life by yourself. You're in this thing called life with me. Don't function like a practical atheist. Invite me in and make room for the reality that I am God. And as such, I could do amazing things. Jesus takes what they have, which is nothing. It's a joke. He miraculously multiplies it because he's God. He gives it to them and says, start distributing. I'm just going to keep breaking, and you keep distributing, right? And so everybody eats, everybody, all 20,000 and 13 of them, because, you know, there's Jesus and the 12. And then he says, all right, well, are we done? Everybody got enough? Everybody hungry? Anybody want any more? You think we're good? Anybody need a little for the road to go bag? Okay, guys, get your baskets. You each have one and go collect up all of the scraps so that you'll have some to eat for the next couple of days. And each guy leaves with his own little basket of object lesson well, I won't be bringing this up again. The funny thing is they do. They do bring it up again. How are we going to feed these guys? Jesus is like, did we not do this once already? Like, you're worried about this? I love these guys. They are so me. It's wonderful to meet these people in the Bible because you recognize their face. You see it in the mirror. Jesus is the bread giver. We just hand it out. That's that's our job. Hand it out. Give him what you got. It ain't enough. Paul says, I rejoice in my weaknesses because they're just opportunities for the power of Christ to be seen in and through me. Praise God. I don't have enough here. What are you going to do with this? What do you want to do, Jesus? There is a God factor to our lives that we need to reckon with on a very practical level. Like, on a day by day, here's how I live level. Like, I mean, the God factor in your life should allow you to have dinner with your family most nights of the week and to take your phone, that menace to humanity that we can't live without. Let's just be honest. All of us, like, where's my phone? I'm panicking. Oh no. Put it into a basket with everybody else's. Make sure that the rings and the dings are, you know, and then like put a pillow on top and then take it into another room where you can't hear the basket shake and fall off the cabinet onto the floor and start making its way across. (laughs) Wants to be found calling to you and just eat. Then when you're done, help clean up, right? And then after you clean up, go play ball in the street or say to to the kids, "Hey, we're going to go swimming. Let's just go swimming because I don't have to look at this thing. I don't have to look at this thing. should give you time to do these things, guys. To take your husband or wife out to eat. Leave your phone in the car. Just have a date. Take your son or daughter out to eat once a month or whatever, you know. Leave the phones in the car and just talk about life. You don't have to talk about business. Oh, did you get that homework assignment in? You've got a test next Thursday. Have you studied for that? And what did your coach say? About I, and do we need to be getting you shoes for the... Stop. You can do that later. That's a business meeting. How are you doing? How's your heart? How's life for you? Let me tell you about me. Here's a challenge I've got. What do you think? But to bring it back to this, it really really should allow you to spend time with Jesus daily. Guys, here's what rest is. Rest is an opportunity to trust God's work on your behalf more than your work on your behalf. And when you do that, you realize that the little bit you've got is enough when you give it to Christ. You get the idea? So here's the question. When and where are you going to start spending time with Jesus? Because your importance and significance has nothing to do with how many things you're managing and how many people and how many relationships and how many phone calls and how many this and that and none of it. It's bought and paid for. It's given to you by Jesus. You are important. You are significant and infinitely so. You're welcome. So step off the wheel. And more than that, you're not enough. (sighs) Just admit it. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But Jesus is more than enough. And when you confess that and you give it to him, then you get to see him work. You get to see him work. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to find a place that you're going to do it, and I want you to schedule the time to do it. So it used to be for me, like, you know, I don't know, five years ago, when our kids were still in the house, and, you know, it was a little bit of a chaos. and Like, it got to the place where I didn't, every day at least have to take somebody to school so that was kind of fun we sort of divided those duties up and and that was great and so either on my way to work or on my way home from work I would stop at the Galleria Mall because they have this big parking garage behind the Galleria Mall and there was a place on the third floor of the Galleria Mall mind you you're not supposed to go higher than the third floor I went up to the fifth floor and then they said no you're not allowed up here so then I went back down to the third floor and on the southeast corner of the third floor I would back my truck in and then that would be my place and it was a little awkward at first because the security guy in the little white Galleria Mall truck would come through the parking lot looking at me like, you know am I like a terrorist or something because I mean obviously it looked like you know like I mean come on and so finally I just flagged the guy down I'm like, listen man, it's going to be weird but I'm just spending time with Jesus here. So I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm not a threat. So when I you know and then he'd just start kind of waving at me, you know now I don't have to go anywhere. it's kind of nice. I've got this little lazy boy chair in the corner of my room. I just kind of drag it out from the wall. It's a small room, you know, and I have these $300, which is a lot in my opinion, um, noise-canceling headphones that are worth 10 times that. Honestly, they are just unbelievable. They're some of my best friends. And then I put them on and then I put on the white noise because I am seasily distracted and I don't hear a thing. I just hear the rain, and I get out my journal and I, I write a little about the day or whatever and I get out my Bible, I open the whole thing up. And then I just take a big breath. And I just say, Lord, I'm here to meet with you. I believe that your spirit lives in me. I, I think you, you speak by your spirit. You speak through your word. Sometimes you speak through other ways. I'm not afraid. Whatever you want to say, let's do this thing. I go to the Psalms, and I just read a couple of Psalms, not the whole Psalm, just like a line here and a line there just talks about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, of who God is. It's amazing when you come into the presence of who God is, it sort of rightly prioritizes everything else, and it's like life gets a little less scary. It reminds you of your sin. You confess that. You lay that out there for him. It reminds you that when he says you're forgiven, you are forgiven. It's this dynamic conversation with the Lord. It's not like I pray and then I study the Bible and then I pray and the bell rings and I run out the door. The whole thing is a conversation. If you use our personal worship, which is excellent, by the I don't make it, that's why I can say it's really good. There's a worship song for every single day. Listen to it and let that prepare your heart as you enter into the presence of the Lord. Use that or use the Psalms. Open up God's Word. I read it, and then sometimes I reread it, and then I read it again Oftentimes, I'm not trying to read 50 verses at a time. I read and I say, Lord, what do you want me to see in this? How how do you want me to feel after I interact with you through this? Like, what what are you trying to teach me in there? What do you want me to do? I look for a word that jumps out or a phrase that jumps out or a verse that jumps out, and I write it out. And I just stop. Maybe that's it. I'm done for the day. And I just talk to the Lord about that. Like, what am I supposed to see in this and feel in this? And what do you want me to do with this? I don't always walk away with some kind of a clear, perfect answer. You know, I don't want you to think that the heavens part. And, you know, the, like when I do this, and I'm, whoa, there's a light, you know, and I'm in my chair, you know, and I can't hear it. I can't because I've got these on. So I'm just kidding. But really, like, You meet with the one who is your life. You meet with the one who is your joy. And yeah, I've got a laundry list of things to pray for, and I cover them at some point in the day, and sometimes I cover them then. But I open myself up and say, Who else do you want me to pray for? What else do you want me to pray for? Like you tell me, by bringing it to my mind, what you want to talk about. And at the end of it, I say, Okay, here we go. We've been in the boat. Now we're on the shore, and you're still with me. And I'm following you, not the other way around. You don't have what it takes. Can we agree? There's just stuff beyond you. Life is short. Man, nobody's going to remember us. That's okay. As long as everybody remembers him, and if you're wondering about your value, he's established that. You don't have to chase it. You're infinitely valuable. So, when and where will you start spending time with Jesus? Because I'm not asking for something from you. I'm offering you green pastures, still waters, restoring of your soul. So, figure that out, okay? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we praise you, Lord, for Jesus. We are so grateful. And honestly, dumbfounded that the most magnificent being in all of the universe could so love us that he would enter into this world as one of us, fully man, fully God, and then give away his life as a substitute for us. That he might take us and have us for himself. That he might cultivate relationship with us. That he might give us his life-giving spirit to live within us that He might speak to us through His Word and through His people in any way He wants, transforming our hearts and our minds and leading and guiding our lives, that He might cause us to lead a life that matters in the end, that's remembered in heaven for all of the the eternal ways that He empowers us to invest these lives. God, we are grateful for the Lord Jesus. Give us faith to surrender to him, to find our value in him, to trust him, to confess to him, not just our sins, but all our insufficiencies, and to realize that he's covered the sins and he's with us in the insufficiencies. He's the one who multiplies, who divides, who does the miraculous because he is God. So Lord, by your spirit, come and change our hearts. And in that, change our minds and change our schedules. Change the way that we think about things. Change who and what we worship, that we might worship you and find freedom and joy, safety and wholeness, restoration of our souls daily in your presence. Do this for your glory and for the sake of the world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.